G'day and welcome to Cocktails and Roses. I'm Osha Ginsberg and this is Alicia Aitken-Radburn. How are you, Alicia? I'm great and I'm excited to dive into these episodes because we're getting into the thick of it. Now, look, there's a whole lot to talk about. So if you haven't watched episodes seven and eight and nine of The Bachelor, hit pause right now and go to 10 Play and catch up because from this point on, we'll be spoiling this like day-old rice. All right, you ready? Let's go. Okay, Alicia, we kick off episode seven. Now, we've had a few motorbike dates in the past. Bachelors are always quite keen to get out on a motorbike. What's your thoughts on a bachelor going, hey, by the way, I ride a motorbike? Yeah, look, it's a classic move, and it's always appreciated, I think. Always impressive. But Jimmy has just really stepped it up a notch by bringing Tiffany, and you can just tell that Jimmy is so proud of this bike. He says that he's finished it off two days ago. I don't think I've ever seen, like he actually genuinely speaks with emotion when he talks about taking Tiffany for a ride. (laughs) And it's it's a gorgeous bike. It's got my favourite, I don't know what you would call it in motorbike lingo, but the sort of front of it's in that Tiffany blue. It's very unique and you can tell he's put a lot of passion and effort into this bike. I didn't pick that that's why the name was Tiffany. I didn't pick because I was like, why is it that colour? Jimmy told me, Jimmy came on my podcast the other week and he told me that particular, that motorbike and the restoration project on that motorbike was one of the ways that psychologically he handled being a commercial airline pilot who then went out of work as COVID hit. That was his project of like he would basically decide what he was going to do on the bike the next day, replace a brake line, for example, watch all the videos on YouTube of people doing it before, figuring out the night before exactly what he was going to do, get up the next morning, have his coffee, train, whatever. And that's what he did with his day. Like, I'm going to replace his brake line today. And that's basically what you saw in his face was this is the reason that I was okay with my career being derailed so intensely. Like every, you know, everybody had their career derailed. And I think commercial airline pilots were the most visible, I guess, them and the music industry. And so to have Lily on the back of the motorbike, it would have been pretty, because you can't imagine that he was dreaming of restoring this vintage motorbike just so he could ride it by himself. Yeah. And I think it's pretty big for Lily. I've got to say, I was surprised that Lily got this single date. I know that I like, once once they were deep on the single date, I, I can see like clearly they have a lot of chemistry. We've seen that from the start since she emerged from the crane in the sky. Mm. And I think particularly I had to refresh my memory that like Lily and Jimmy did kiss on the photo shoot date, like that was very saucy. So they have the chemistry. It was a pash. That wasn't a kiss. That was a pash. Yeah. (laughs) It was. I think it's a big deal that Jimmy has chosen Lily because I, you know, as aforementioned, he's very passionate about this bike. Mm. And so I think it means a lot who he chooses to share this experience with. And he does like one of his favorite things after the motorbikes and takes her to his local area. He seems very, he's very into the Northern beaches. <laughs> it's the Insula Peninsula. Like mm. if you don't like living in, like when I lived in America, they had a thing. If you lived on one side of the hill, they would just say basically don't date the 818. 818 was the area code of the valley. In Sydney, if you're not, uh, I grew up in Brisbane, so I never understood this, but if you're, Say, for example, if you're dating a guy or girl from Bill Gola and you don't live on that side of the bridge, it's over before it started. I grew up in Sydney and I grew up in the northern suburbs. So so we're relatively close to the northern beaches, but there's just a whole different society there. They have different yeah. clubs that they go to to drink. <laughs> They've got different places to go for brunch. It's just a different... Yeah. <laughs> And a lot of white people, like a lot. That's a a lot of white people. This is true. What did you think of the beach day? Look, look, Jimmy doesn't mind getting his rig out. And it's always, I can't imagine. I I mean, I'm projecting my own body image issues, I think, upon this. But you've got to appreciate, anytime you sign up for a show like this, you're like, I'm going to be seen in a bikini from all angles. And I'm just going to have to be okay with it. Oh, don't remind me the amount of salmon and broccoli I ate for about three months before going on Bachelor in Paradise. Oh, my goodness. Well, exactly. Like, what are your thoughts about Jimmy and Lily here? What are your thoughts about the age difference? There's a few theories in the manch that 
Jimmy, and you've heard it, some of the other ladies say it, that, oh, he likes people who are smaller than him, like smaller, little, tiny ladies. Really? Do you think that's it? Because that gives me flashbacks to Kieran in Bachelor in Paradise and he definitely had a thing for, like, small women. He used to call, like, cast a pocket rocket and I I hope that that is not true because I, I now that you mention it, I do see some commonalities between Brooke and Lily. Yeah. But yeah. I don't really love the idea of I know that maybe it's like a maybe it's a masculine thing, I don't know, of like a big guy having this tiny little girl. I'm not into it, but they do have chemistry. How much taller than you is Glenn? Yeah, okay. He's 6'3". But... Yeah, and you are? I'm 5'7". Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll take up. I, I want to seem little and tiny, I guess. What's six inches between friends? <laughs> tell me tell me about the age difference. What are your thoughts about the age difference? Because, you know, they're, they're at very different times in her life. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, I, and I think that this is going to be a hot topic in houses. He is 32 and she's, I think, 23. And that's significant. That, uh, but, but, you know, as he says, he says that Lily is one of the most mature in the house. Mm. And I can, I can definitely see that about her. The thing that struck me, you know, I'm, I'm not one to, I'm not one to cast judgment on the, the age thing. I think that there are enough people out in society who have significant age gaps that make it work the thing that I would say for Lily is she basically gives, she she really opens up about where she is at in her life. And she says that, you know, we know she's a crane operator. We don't know too deeply about her career, but she says that she's basically been working over the last couple of years to ensure that her career is all sort of sorted and she's ready to take the next steps and find a partner to complete the picture and I can't say that I could even use the word career when I was 23. I was still at yeah, right. Manning Bar getting schlozzed off like multiple schooners every afternoon. So I think she, she there's definitely the potential that she matches Jimmy. Right. And she, she has a, I don't know if it's got to do with her background or if it's got to do with the industry that she's in, but there is a, there's, there's, a, there's a few defences. Uh, emotionally for Lily, aren't there? Yes. What do you What do you think about that? She like she's really struggles to open up, and I think that that's she's going to have to be careful about that as we move through the next weeks because we're getting on through Jimmy's love journey, and you just have to open up. I can't imagine what it's like. To, I mean, she's stunning, and she's tiny, and she's in a male-dominated industry with lots of heavy machinery, you know, 400-ton cranes that you should have seen the size of the crane. Like it's one it's the, like the one of those ones that builds those modular houses. It's, it was humongous the size. It was the crane that's big enough to build another crane basically. And she drives those cranes. That's the things she does. That's what she does. She drives cranes like that. I can only imagine when you look like her as far as, you know, in our modern society, I'm sure it's like but I, I've seen job sites, you've seen job sites. Mhm. She would be uh, like, get to work, good morning. No, 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 thank you. No, no, I'm fine. No, I'm good. No, like all day long, just saying no and just having this, I am I am here as a professional. I am operating this piece of heavy machinery and I am not here to talk about my personal life or accept any kind of yep. offer of anything. You know, you'd have, to, you'd have to just to get on with it, wouldn't you? Yeah, so I think that that is what is, you know, that's what's resulted in the Lily that we're seeing sitting with Jimmy on this beach. And, you know, while she is probably, she does have this hard exterior, she does match him in maturity, I think. I am interested to see how it plays out because, you know, it's a classic trope of our show, but it is a trope for a reason that there are people out there in relationships who just can't open up to the level that's necessary to really bond through vulnerability. So we'll have to wait and see. I don't know if there's time though, you know, because you turn right around and then boom, group date time and it's it's on. And this was this is kind of interesting in that we bring family in so fast. Normally in other seasons we have like we, we saw the family from the moment we met Jimmy. Like that's how we met Jimmy, surrounded by his family. In other seasons we haven't met family until way, 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 way later. So to bring family in at this point was a quite a turning point as far as production and editorial editorial goes. And I thought it was really good. Because we met Jimmy's sister Tani and her cousin Lisa. 
they spent the day at the mansion with the ladies who weren't on the date. There was an honesty box. Let's just say it's a useful thing to have in a reality television formats to spark conversation. <laughs> and we used it. And there was some pretty pressing questions in there. And there was a fair bit of tension. Like watching back, obviously on the night, look, there's so many cameras, okay? And yep. I, I do watch. There's a monitor with a feed. It's a split feed. And it basically looks like a Zoom call. And you can only watch so many things at once because there's audio going on in every single one. It's like everyone's not on mute. And so you have to choose what you want to see and watch. And I, you know, there, something else was happening. And I, I missed a bit of stuff that happened with Steph and the way Steph was playing it. But now it all makes sense. The tension between Steph and Holly was... <laughs> this has just been a there's been a significant shift like a couple of episodes ago I thought okay we're seeing you know clearly they might they just don't really gel well as people Holly and Steph but now it's really stepped up a notch and I have to say within this family coming to the mansion group date honesty box situation Tani Jimmy's sister is just the MVP. How lucky for The Bachelor that Jimmy's sister is a psychologist because while Glenn and I were watching this group date, we could just see like Tani's mind whirring as she spoke to Holly. And yeah, I mean, this is jumping forward a little bit. The honesty box in and of itself, there was just so many, you you likened, likened it to Survivor, Osha. I was pretty taken aback by Steph at this table and Steph receiving the card on the table that said, does someone act differently between, you know, when they're on camera, when they're with Jimmy, when they're in the house. And Steph like knows the politics of the mansion because she reads that card and she just edges it over to her friend Tatum. She, she makes Tatum bring up the big issue and Tatum says it in front of the family and calls Holly out. And it's really, it was very uncomfortable. What did you think of it? Look, you know, I, I thought, you know, come merge, it's going to be really tricky to kind of play that one off. There's <laughs> <laughs> been a lot of Survivor at our house. Uh, but, you know, what, what is it? What, what are any of these shows about? They are trying to, I guess, bring the parts of what we all do in every workplace and every relationship, whether it be a work relationship or an intimate relationship or a friend relationship. It's trying to bring those things that we all do anyway into a very deliberately acted out way so we can, you know, because we all do that. Everyone knows that. Like before, I mean, like, hey, can you bring this thing up? Because it doesn't sound good if it comes from me. Like this happens all the time. Or can you email this yeah. person? Because it won't sound good if it comes from me. But CC me, then I can come in and then that's a two-way. People do this kind of stuff all the time. So, you know, I didn't think it was a sneaky move at all. I was like, no, that's okay. That happens all the time anyway. It just was very deliberate and we saw it. And to be honest, she was probably like Steph was probably taking a little bit. I, I have no doubt that pragmatically she didn't want to raise it directly with the family and with Holly, but she's also not shy to say her piece. We see it later when she's talking to Jimmy's cousin and she just directly says she starts like just going for the other girls. And this is the golden rule in Batchy, you know, unspokenly. You don't speak about other people with family or with The Bachelor. And Steph just goes for the jugular and says that Brooke is codependent, which I think is such a charged thing to say about somebody mm. and that Jay doesn't want kids. And we get that flashback. The producers are working overtime in post-production. We get the rewind to Jay sitting on her single, her one-on-one -on -one time, saying that she does want kids. Yeah. So it was just very hectic. A lot of different um, dynamics going on about how we operate as human beings in high-pressure environments. And I was really interested. One thing that me and Glenn were unpacking together is how, um, going back to Tani, the MVP, Jimmy's sister, how she identified that she, like, she was pretty gung-ho that Holly and Jimmy would not be able to deal with conflict together if they were in a relationship. And that that shook me. I was surprised by that because I think that's a pretty big call. Like, I know she knows her brother intimately, mm. but, you know, Holly, she's just met. I'm wondering what she was picking up as a psychologist yeah. that made her think that these guys are not going to do conflict well? well I, I don't know. Like in I've I've read relationship 
you know, counselling books, mm. as, as many people have, you know, and the lead up to getting married, the person that was marrying us goes, you need to read this book and you need to read that book, otherwise I'm not going to do it. It's like, okay. So leading up to getting married, we, you know, we both read these books and one of them was basically saying that, oh, we can tell within 20 minutes by the way you talk to each other if you're going to last. Maybe she saw eye rolls, maybe she saw dismissiveness, maybe she saw uh, mocking, maybe she saw belittling, maybe she saw, but oh, maybe they were in reaction to an attack from being told that she's not there for the right reasons. I don't know. Maybe that's how it was read. I I don't know what to do, but obviously Tani Nicholson, Jimmy's sister, that's not her surname, she's married, um, but that's obviously Tani, Jimmy's sister, is very, very protective of Jimmy and is looking to get a definitive answer that makes her feel good about you know, whatever's happening on the day as quick as she can because she understands she's got a limited amount of time with people. I, I've got to go back to what you were saying about calling someone else out for being codependent. That's that's how I've previously how identified as someone who's codependent. And it took me a long time to figure it out. It's not something you just throw around. Oh, yeah. And it's a very – I've also had family members – who have, you know, I don't think it's a stretch to say suffered with codependency because I think that it's something that is very, uh, it's very difficult for a lot of people. And sometimes mm. it's about unlearning behaviors so you, you can have better relationships. Yep. And so I know that like perhaps maybe Steph has never seen someone who struggles with codependency and doesn't understand how charged of a word that that can be. Mm. But I think it kind of, you know, I think a lot of people are trying to get over their codependency so they can have great relationships. And so I, it just really threw me when she called yeah. Brooke codependent. Why do you think she's like when Jay's clearly saying to Jimmy and we went to the bunker to try, no try, it was a try. She said, yes, I want kids. Why do you think Steph is feeding information that is not congruent with what Jay's telling Jimmy? Like, did Jay tell Steph something else or is Steph just trying to throw people under the bus? What do you think? My first thought is that surely this has to come back to insecurity. I think it's so interesting because we see Steph as this, you know, I might be wrong, but I hope it would come down to insecurity because some of these things are pretty hurtful. These sort of like judgment calls that Steph is making upon other people. And so, you know, I think it would be understandable and maybe I would feel a little bit of empathy if this is being driven by insecurity and, you know, Jay's gorgeous, Brooke clearly, everyone's spoken about it. Brooke clearly has a very identifiable connection with Jimmy. And so I think that maybe it would be, you know, it's not understandable, but it would explain why Steph is sort of really coming out and, you know, <laughs> with the <laughs> left, right, good night. Maybe that's it. And I would hope that it was explained by the fact that she's like, well, she says directly, doesn't she? She says she's trying to get the heat off her. So I guess that's some explanation in and of itself. And I think that this goes to how, you know, this whole scene was very chaotic, but I think it goes to show, and I think as an audience, as a viewer, we have to remember, and I sort of like the chaos in this scene because we have to remember that this show is really nuanced. Obviously, we're seeing a very simple narrative of who Steph is as a person. But then we've got these undertones of Tatum talking about how she's been feeling with Holly in the mansion. And I think we've just got to remember as we navigate this very tangled web of uh, conflict and relationships between the women as well, that it is nuanced and it's not going to be the simple black and white picture of Steph is an evil, bad person, Holly is a good angel or, you know, however you want to paint it. I think we have to realise that probably everyone has something to account for here, except for Brooke, who seems like an actual beautiful angel. Look, honestly, Alicia, stop making so much sense. I want to just be told how to think about something better if you can make it rhyme. And that's it. I can carry on with my day and decide what to eat. I just want to know, you just play some evil music and give me some side-eye looks between the girls so I know who to hate. Yeah. And just give me the tuba. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and a boing noise. The goof. Okay, can I tell you my favourite part, Osher, of this whole situation? And it's the bookend of the whole scene. Yeah. Jimmy is getting the feedback from his sister and his cousin. 
and we see this like the camera shuffling and they clearly think we actually saw it you know sorry to talk about another network but we saw it on maths where it's like oh okay end scene everyone go back like relax just talk amongst yourself while we go set up somewhere else that's basically what we saw it was like clearly Jimmy his sister and his cousin thought okay cool we've done the on-camera portion let's just have a yarn but there's always a camera rolling and Jimmy is speaking very candidly about how he feels about the girls he says he feels very affirmed that they liked Brooke and they see Brooke as a front runner because he has her pegged as number one and not just since their feedback before then what did you think of those candid comments yeah, you learn it early in TV. Every mic's a live mic. Until that mic's off your body, someone's listening and it's being recorded. Mm-hmm. I think it was a great chance to see Jimmy's real thoughts. I'm not going to say that people who come on this show put on a front when they're on camera, but it is hard to ignore five people in the room, four of whom are holding a camera. It's hard to not rise a little bit. Like even when you're on a Zoom call for work, you you know you're on camera. So you lift just the tiniest bit. You change the tiniest bits about your personality, alter just a little bit about your expressions and the way you use your voice just to give a slightly different version of yourself. So to then, oh, we're done. Oh, that's all gone. To have that moment of actuality of, of him actually relating to his family as he would, I thought it was a very precious moment. A, that he felt comfortable enough to speak with them like that. You know, what a beautiful thing to see how the relationship he has with his sister and his cousin. But also, it's great intel. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) Yeah, it's great intel. And I think that, you know, going back to what you said about people sort of just modulating their behavior just ever so slightly, it doesn't mean that they're being disingenuous. You're just slightly modifying your behavior. Not at all. Ingenuine, yeah, Jamie Doran. Ooh. I think you find the world is disingenuine. <laughs> Sorry, you shall not be named. <laughs> uh, what I loved about it, you know, we do do make these slight modulations, particularly, and I think what I found so interesting about this scene is that Jimmy's The Bachelor and we have to remember that this is a really important part of the show. Jimmy can't really, we have to, we have to keep the jeopardy there. I am sure and I have heard that some bachelors have come into the mansion first night and been in love. They know who their winner is from the get-go, basically. Particularly, I've heard it associated with Sam and Shazana. Um, Wow, I butchered her name. So sorry. I've got to go back to their first episode where she's saying chicken parmigiana. (laughs) But people know from the get-go. And one of the really important things about The Bachelor is, you know, when you've got a mansion of women as well, you can't allow that. We've got to let this journey play out. And Jimmy can't be too, I don't know whether he's got those feelings or whether he's still figuring out. As much as Sam knew from the get-go, I do think that some other bachelors take the time, take the journey to figure this out. But, you know, when he's talking to the girls, when he's on camera discussing how he feels about girls, I do think he has to maybe rein in some of his if he was to speak from the depths of his heart, we would see something a little bit more yeah. candid like we're seeing here. So it was just so good to cut past this like, oh, yeah, uh, Lily is a really fantastic girl and I'm feeling a beautiful connection. We got the juice. Yeah, I agree with you. It was great. It was really, really great. But despite them saying, yeah, Brooke, Jay, thumbs up, Holly, thumbs down, Steph, thumbs down, Despite that, there was roses for Steph and Holly. Two thumbs downs. So even though he had a great connection with his family, he didn't seem to want to listen to them. But before that, it was Tatum who came out with the, the question you mentioned earlier at the honesty box. I've got to say, I'm really proud of Tatum to just go, look, yeah, not, not there. It's not there. It made me reflect on what she was saying at the honesty box as well. And I, you know, I think it's really bad to cast judgment about something that you haven't necessarily seen, meaning that Tatum was telling us about how Holly was making her feel in the mansion. And obviously we haven't seen anything directly, whereas, you know, we've directly seen Steph call Holly as seen next Tuesday. So, you know, we're more intimately aware of that relationship dynamic. But Mm -hmm. the way in which Tatum was so honest with Jimmy and you could see that she was, I feel like, the mansion was also getting to her in those final moments where she was seeing, you know, yet again, I think it was Tani who was sitting with him and 
she was saying that there's a queue established and you could just see that it was getting to Tatum. Mm. And so being vulnerable, being brave and sort of tapping out and telling Jimmy how she was feeling, it made me reflect on what she shared. And it does make me think that maybe there was, you know, I don't think that Tatum was just doing a manipulation with the honesty box. I think she was sharing something about how she felt that it was difficult to connect with Holly. Mm. But I thought it was, you know, like you, Osha, I thought it was really brave. I thought she was awesome. Yeah. And I'm really stoked that we as a country got to see this is what it looks like when you go and you honestly just don't ghost someone. You actually just go, listen, this is it. This is me having great boundaries. This is me saying doesn't make you a bad person. It's just not there for me and I'm going to do the right thing and, and leave. And I think that Jimmy was actually a little bit, I think he was bummed, to be honest. Mm. But I think he also recognized that, you know, I think that they did have somewhat of a connection because we could see it on the, they were doing the like life-saving date and Tatum got a rose. Mm. But I just, I think in some circumstances, some people can wait for that single date. Yeah. And maybe a single date would have been coming up for Tatum. Maybe it wasn't. But, you know, within herself, it was probably becoming too late. Like, if you do actually have a connection with me, this needed to happen earlier. Yeah. And I think Jimmy respected that. Yeah. And I'm happy for it. And Jimmy did say goodbye to Stevie. Not that Stevie didn't give it her best shot, but equally it wasn't there for Jimmy. So um, we said we said farewell to Stevie at this rose ceremony. We're going to talk in a minute about how romantic ziplining is. And... <laughs> And we go back to school. This is Cocktails and Roses. Stay with us. This is Cocktails and Roses. I'm Osha Ginsberg. That's Alicia Aitken-Rodburn. And we are talking about episode seven, eight, and nine of The Bachelor Australia, where Jimmy Nicholson, our commercial airline pilot and part-time vintage motorcycle restorer, took Carly, lovely, lovely Carly, on what can only be described as the pinnacle of romance, the zip line. Yeah, not even a zip line. It was like a shimmy down the drain pipe (laughs) basically on this zip line. And it wasn't even like you were moving particularly fast. They were sort of like, it was shimmying down the pinnacle of romance. You're correct. I really dig Carly. She's a corporate lawyer. She's a very powerful person. She has great boundaries. I, I know I keep coming back to that, but I just love examples of people, as I mentioned earlier, as someone who identified as codependent at one point in my life, I love seeing, oh, that's what it looks like when you value yourself and you say no to something. Oh, I didn't know how to do that before. Now I do. I love that about her. And I, lo- I love how honest she is and I love her intensity. I-, I really do. I think she's great. And she communicates like she's got, she communicates like a lawyer who charges by in six minute increments, which is what I love. Yes, yeah. doesn't she? It was awesome. She, she is awesome to watch. Yeah. What did you think of their, the 1920s portion of their date? I mean, not to skip over the very romantic zipline, but <laughs> it, it was really the date that was where it was at. A colour and movement is what TV is all about. You know, if you, whatever you need to do. People ask, you know, why why are they going on a jet ski to a helicopter to a cheese platter? Like, why are they going on a zip line to a, you know, a champagne tower? Why, da, 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 da. The idea is to, I guess, dazzle grown adults enough that they snap out of their automatic responses to how they normally behave in a dating situation. Even a bachelor, like give them something new that they haven't done before so we see an authentic side of them because they're in the middle of this discovery phase or there's adrenaline going or they're excited or they're sad or they're scared or whatever. And they have to try to communicate to this person around their feelings in the middle of all this. So that's why all this stuff goes on. Plus it looks fun. You know, it looks fun. I thought it was, you know, I thought it was great. I think she's great. I like that she, you know, the the hypothetical part of what they're chatting about, I dug, you know, I thought it's important to have these kind of conversations. These good conversations to have early. 
Yeah, I liked it as well. I think my only nervousness here is some of the girls have alluded to the fact that Carly really rates her connection with The Bachelor. And I think it's really good that Carly is going on these dates with Jimmy and feels really connected to him. I worry that Jimmy is probably tops the list when it comes to this when we talk about previous Bachelors. But I think that Jimmy is really good at making people feel connected to him. Mm. And I worry that maybe, you know, he's clearly charming the pants of Carly. And I think that as we get to the latter half of Jimmy's journey, he's going to have to be careful. He's going to have to tread lightly because hearts are involved. Yeah. And Jimmy's dealing with, you know, and I say this to you know, guys, oh, mate, can you, people say, oh, can you send a video to my girlfriend, you know, just to say happy birthday uh, on, because uh, I, I raise money for World Bicycle Relief and I do them on Cameo and, and, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. And like, yeah, yeah, she's, you know, it's her 34th birthday and we've been going going out for 10 years. Like 34, you haven't put a ring on it? Come on, man. Like, <laughs> I was very lucky to be told early on, like, if you're not feeling it with a woman over the age of 30, 32, if you're not thinking this is it and there's kids here, do the right thing. Give her a chance with someone it is because I'm sorry, fellas, there really actually is a finish line yes. as far as the viable chances for uh, having children and getting pregnant. And you, you cannot take that from a woman. It is a horrible thing to do. So someone like Carly, she's like, all right, here we go. How does Carly go on Jimmy's timeline, though? Because did you... So you mentioned Carly's 34. 33. She's 33. Uh, Do you remember when Jimmy was chatting to Ashley? Yeah. On the date with Ashley, and he basically outlined a five-year plan for kids. Mm. That puts Carly at 39, and I don't know if that logistically works. No, it's very, very tricky. It really is. I remember my mum when she was still alive, the blessed doctor that she was, she gave me not a photocopied but a printed laminated chart of chances of not only conception but of complications of uh, having kids after the age of uh, 30. And it was a very frightening-looking bell curve. Yeah. And she goes, boom, she shoved it in my face. She goes, don't mess around. I'm like, sorry, mum. <laughs> I, I don't know. You know. We talked a bit about this last week. Look, my, my litmus test has always been this, Alicia. If you're with someone and you're into it, and this may tread upon people's toes who may think of things differently and may have different views around options here, but uh, where I stand, this is you know it fits within my moral code. If you're with someone and you're serious about them, if for whatever example, the IUD didn't work, the condom broke, you got drunk, whatever, you forgot to take your pill, if, for example, you accidentally got pregnant, would you keep the baby? Then just fucking start. Just Osha just wants everyone to be. Well, I know it's more like <laughs> you know when we're not on this podcast, everyone. Osha's just sending me photos of Wolfie, convincing me to go. <laughs> like, Glenn, take me now. But Alicia, it's more along the lines of it's unfair to the woman in the situation to drag things out. It's unfair. I do think that I do take your point. And I think it's a shift over, you know, 2020s compared to many moons ago. Yeah. I do think that we have slowed down the brakes a lot. And I think that sometimes people do try to overplan these things. And, you know, we yeah. can see it here in this chat. We can see them running through the hypothetical questions. And I think sometimes we need to stop trying to logistic life so much. We've got to yeah. stop trying to have a particular amount of money in the bank. We've got to stop trying to be in this perfect home. And sometimes yeah. we've just got to live. And I'm pretty sure from basically everyone that I've spoken to, life just sorts itself out. You'll absolutely figure it out. One of my great mates, an amazing Australian stand-up comedian, Luke Heggie, when him and his wife started having kids in the late 2000s, he was a struggling starting stand-up comic. And um, I'm like, oh, and how are you feeling about that? He goes, uh, Bogans have got no cash and they've got heaps of kids and they seem to be doing fine. We'll be fine. I'm like, you know what, Luke, you make a good point. Yeah, so I think maybe this is a message to Jimmy as well. Don't like, don't be so stringent on the five-year plan. Just relax a little bit, go with the flow, uh, and maybe you and Carly will have 
a couple of kids. Who knows at the end of this show? Yeah, and you'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. She got a rose. She got a pash. It was a lovely connection. I rate it. I rate it as a connection. We went back to high school, which is always interesting for me. I still get flashbacks, weird flashbacks, whenever I walk into a school because I just had such a traumatic experience, not only at primary school, but also at high school. I just fucking hated it. And every time I go into a school, it's like <gasps> it flies back. It's, I think it's the smell of the disinfectant in the hallways that gets me. Well, Osha, can I give you a scoop here? You weren't in any school. You were in my school. <laughs> you were at Sydney Boys and Sydney Girls High School, which is where I went to school. And it's not the first time that The Bachelor's been here. I'll take you back to your experiences on Sophie Monk season. Yeah. Where you were at the same school yep. and the boys were in a maths class in a demountable. There was a lot going on there yeah. and it was a great day like this one. It was. So I was just like, you took me back. Wow, you poor thing. I have bought a lot of potato pies at that canteen and I have flirted with a lot of boys on that basketball court. <laughs> They let you interact at lunchtimes? Yeah, so that's the beauty of Cine Girls and Cine Boys. So where that basketball court is, where they're playing poison ball, it's one of the, the rarest schools. And I don't know what you're considering for Wolfie, but it's a great option. You go separately for classes. Yeah. But then that area, which we called, the girls call it the lowers, the boys called that the flat. You would come at lunchtime recess and you could socialize with each other, but then you go back to class. It's amazing. What an interesting, because I don't think how, as all boys, I, I went to an all boys school, it allowed me to at least concentrate uh, and not worry so much about getting random stiffies in the middle of English, which happens when you're a teenager and you've got testosterone pumping through your body. Oh, it's so interesting. Me and Glenn have spoken a lot about co-ed schools because he went to a co-ed public school. Yeah. Where we've sort of landed, and it'd be interesting for your perspective on this, is I think that I, you know, I went to Cine Girls, but I did get that socialization with the boys at recess and lunch. But I think that it was better for my concentration to go to an all-girls school. Glenn feels very strongly that if he was to have a boy, they should go to a co-ed school because it teaches them. I think that when you leave an all-boys school and you haven't been socialized with women, it teaches you some very important skills around respect. Oh, yeah. I had a really hard time when I when I landed in actually the workplace in my mid twenties. I had a really hard time. I had a really really hard time because I just didn't know. And it was it was really difficult. anyway. Enough about us. Um, yeah, back to the show. Back to the show. Everyone shows up to the group date. Brooke didn't make it. They could choose to be on the debating team or the PE team. There was a. How do you think Stephanie felt about uh, Holly being there? Oh my gosh, this is the tension is becoming too much. Honestly, I'm getting to the point with this holy Steph tension that I'm like, okay, one of you has got to go in the next few episodes. Jimmy, you've got to make a call here because it is becoming uncomfortable. But I loved this concept of debating PE and I loved the debate so much. I think it really, gosh, Laura was good. Wasn't she? And you know, and I loved the debate. I really loved the debate. It showed so much about who they are, how they think about the world. And in, in many ways, women who are like, oh, are you fucking kidding me? Like my wife was third speaker debating champ in a selective school. So like, you think I can win an argument in my house? Fuck that. Like, yes, dear. sorry. You're right, honey. You're right. I'm, so I'm sorry. That's all I've got. That is my only tactic because she can go rings around me as far as her logic arguments. There's nothing I can do. But I loved it. I really, really dug it. Uh, Laura got a bit of one-on-one -on -one time, which was great. I, I, I dig Laura. I understand that she has the kind of playful kind of silliness that she uses as a disarming thing. But I, I think she's cool. She's a cool person. Oh, I love her. And I'm, I do get a bit worried. And I hope that like big batchy viewers who also listen to Cocktails and Roses because they're the true fans. I hope that, I just hope that I think, you know, I saw it within myself as a viewer. I was watching it and I could see like Laura was making like these really intense quips and jokes at cocktail parties. She was like climbing the tree. She was like slothing around as the sloth. And I could feel myself being jarred by the behavior, but taking it back a step, Osher, as you say, I think she does do that as like this disarming thing. Yeah. And I think under everything, she is really quality and she's really quite funny, but it's really hard with a group of girls to particularly if you're that personality type, I think. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree, I, I agree with you. I loved her. 
And she's got that rose, so I'm so happy. Yeah, there was a school formal, which was great. Our art department built something fantastic in your old gym. Yeah. Really brilliant. And I was, I was Sierra, Sierra did get some one-on-one time after winning Poison Ball, and it was nice to see her have a chance to... <laughs> Try and get some connection with Jimmy because, yeah, it's a, it's a big mansion. It's full of people. You really very rarely get that amount of time, however long it might be, to have Jimmy by yourself. So I thought it was really great that Sierra got that time to have a bit of a chat there. But the school formal rose is what everyone was really keen on. I didn't know that there was fumigating going on, though, in your old school. Alicia? <laughs> Steph said she was fumigating because Tani was, like, really going for gold and I'm very I'm intrigued because I thought that in that chat where Tani was basically like put it out there being like you know if you feel something we need to have a single date probably what Tatum wanted to do but it didn't happen she didn't get that rose and I think she wait I'm gonna be interested to see how that develops in the next few episodes because yeah maybe she'll be fumigating like Steph was (laughs) every week I asked someone to Please take the time to say goodbye. I thought Sierra's time that she took to say goodbye was pretty fantastic. Not only did she give Jimmy the tap, tap, see you, buddy, tap, tap on the shoulder, tap, tap, I'm out. Um, Being tall and voluptuous didn't pan out. It was a great line. And then (laughs) I guess he's not into tall, horny bogans. That's a Jimmy problem. <laughs> I have never wanted to see someone on Bachelor in Paradise more. So much. Oh, COVID. Oh, oh COVID. I wish we could make that show. Like, Because I promise you, when, I'm, when we make Bachelor and Bachelorette, I'm like, look, this isn't going to work out here for you, but by golly, have I got a boo-ray with your name on it <laughs> by the ocean in Fiji. Oh, my gosh. I'm hoping that if it's not already up on Template, we have got a Best of Sierra montage because, like, amongst her, I was going to dress as a koala because I sleep a lot and I've also had chlamydia. Like, she is probably – she's going to be one of the most – and this is just such an iconic a- exit. I didn't think that we'd ever come close to Ivan's exit on Ali's season of The Bachelorette where he was basically like, if she thinks that she's coming back to me after going through all these guys, yeah, I didn't think we'd top that. But this comes very, very close. Look, I for one will really miss Sierra. I agree. All right. Finally, Alicia, Laura's single date finally arrives. And it's a great moment because I, for one, have thought Laura just, she's brought a lot to the show. Yeah, I agree. She has been just such a standout. And, you know, we had it foreshadowed that she received the rose that would unlock this single date at the school date. And I'm just so happy for her. But soon enough, I, I just wish that she wasn't there. Oh, no. Nah, it's we will unpack it. It's complex. She's quite self-aware. She opens straight up to Jimmy and says, look, she goes on dates and guys don't take her seriously because she is, you know, quite funny. She's quite sarcastic. Guys find her, in her words, guys find her loud, uh, opinionated, headstrong, totally fine things for men to be. She tries when they're making pasta. She tries to kind of put her arms around him and stuff. What did? What was your take on that? I think what was so jarring about the pasta scene, I need to start off by saying that I just thought Laura was so beautiful and vulnerable and I loved that she was upfront mm. and, as you said, self-aware. I think she can really sort of unpack herself. Yeah. I think the overriding feeling for me was they're just not compatible and that's okay. Some people aren't compatible, but I think what made it awkward and like almost could not watch the TV screen for secondhand embarrassment is Laura was definitely, I think the pressures of The Bachelor and this environment and knowing that this is your, basically your one substantial chance on a single date. Mm. Laura at this stage would have been in the mansion for weeks on end. So she realizes just how important this moment is to make something of her and Jimmy's connection. And I think that she probably just got a little, she let the pressure get to her. And as a result, she probably pushed it a little far, which resulted in just excruciatingly, it was excruciatingly awkward. 
I don't know what else to say about it, Osha. What did you think? Well, I really felt for her because there is a huge amount of pressure. And yeah, she's put her life on hold. She's come into this mansion. She's being open about this thing that has led to her being single. And then she's like, I'm up against all these other ladies who are vying for this guy's time. I need to make a move here. And look, I've certainly been in situations like this myself. You know, the timing's not right. You read the room wrong. You're whatever. You're going for the kiss. And it's like, oh, I've been there. I know it. I think what I appreciate about Laura, and like I really relate to Laura, I feel like had I received a single date on my season of The Bachelor, I would be exactly where Laura is in the sense that I would have also, like she's savvy. She recognises that this is the moment in time that's going to take her from not having a connection with Jimmy to having something substantial when we're coming into the like last few weeks of his journey and he's already got all of these other connections. Yeah. I think the larger life lesson that we can take from this single date and of course the like very, very awkward receiving a rose but not a kiss, I think the life lesson that we can take from this is sometimes we have to evaluate whether we actually like the person and whether we sense the compatibility and we can sense the moment rather than just let like external pressures or external like societal ideas of what you should do in a situation and I think you know bachelor is a microcosm and we have our own tropes about what should happen on these single dates Mm. and Laura understands the beats of the show And I think it's because she is so savvy that it's sort of led to her emotional, it's sort of led to, not downfall is a very dramatic word, but because she understands the beats of what happens where you receive a rose and then often I think you'll find on these single dates, receiving a rose is what unlocks the kiss. Someone will receive the rose and then the kiss happens following that. Yeah. And I think that you can see it if you look back at that scene and you see her doing this dance in her mind where she's receiving the rose, but the kiss isn't happening. As soon as that moment is gone, that's what leads her to just emotionally break down because she's put all this pressure on herself of the expectation of what's meant to happen. And I think people do that all the time in their own lives. They build up this pressure of what's meant to happen. And when it doesn't happen, they feel like their world is crumbling down. And I think that we've just got to be a little kinder to each other and ourselves. There was a very touching moment when afterwards she obviously felt that moment and uh, and it was a very touching moment to to show and in, in in some ways I'm quite glad that the crew found a way to film that interaction because it it's important that people know that you know Jimmy's a good guy he hasn't got a heart of stone he he understands and he's compassionate and he he has empathy and to see that moment where she's really feeling what you just described she's really feeling oh man just feel so much pressure to do this and, and she understands what she, what's going on and then jimmy comes into the room and they have a moment to themselves you see all the producers scuttling out like let them be the, by themselves let them go let them go let them go you see the two of them have that moment and uh, it just i think they were both aware that there was some awkwardness there like i hope that they continue to build on that and you, you'd be amazed what can come out of an awkward connection like that you'd be amazed oh totally and I think that I was really happy for that moment as well between her and Jimmy because I think one of my first reflexes watching that single date and you know having been on the show myself and gone through this emotional journey of not receiving a single date and you know it didn't take me too much to get over but there was definitely a period of time once I left the mansion where I sort of reflected and I was like oh what's wrong with me like why wasn't I one of those collection of girls Mm. that received a single date why I I used to frame it up in my mind I used to call them the golden girls which is quite funny (laughs) Um, but I I, you know you had to move past that and I I was really stuck on it for a while and watching this scene without that interaction between Jimmy and Laura, I was initially really angry at Jimmy. I was like, why have you given her this rose without kissing her? Like you also understand what's meant to happen here or how it usually goes. You know how your previous dates have gone and you know, when she's going to be comparing her situation to other girls' situations, it's pretty harsh. But then 
this interaction made me take a step back and realize, you know, Jimmy is just, he's going through this journey as well and he's entitled to, and this is where he's at. We can't, we can't be at a rose and a kiss with everyone. Yeah. (laughs) And it's just unfortunate that such a beautiful person like Laura has sort of come into the game so late. And you know what? It's great that she got the single date. I didn't get the single date. And so I'm so glad that she's at the very least had that experience if it doesn't go anywhere with Jimmy. This group date, which I absolutely loved, this was with uh, Laura, Holly, Tani, Lily and Ash. Look, and you see it. You see me and Jimmy. Uh, later on, you see Jimmy and I walking away from, from everyone's just met their mums. And look, my mum passed away a couple of years ago. He hasn't seen his mum. He misses his mum too. And the two of us was like, just watching the ladies see their mums again, uh, was really, really, really lovely. And it was great to meet all their mums. It was great to have their mums show up. I loved the fact that there was a moment to go, okay, you got a couple minutes just to fill them in before you let them loose on Jimmy. And I was like, oh my God, that look, other girls in the mansion are really mean to me. Like that stuff was... Yeah, it was so strategic. Everyone's having a whisper right. throwing. And then it was so interesting to see. It was very telling for me what the women were telling their mums. I think that that's very telling of, you know, how they're feeling about their experience at the moment. Like we see Ash. Ash just basically goes straight to telling her mum about the hot tub. (laughs) Yeah. But then we've got other women like Holly who's foregrounding her mansion experience to her mum. Yeah, absolutely. And then Jimmy is one-on-one with people's mums. I got to say, he took it like a champ. Obviously, we couldn't sh- we couldn't show you everything, but those mums were. I think to a to a woman, they all said, "Don't break her heart." You know, every one of them, and they all and rightly so, as you would with your daughter. I love that Tani's mum got straight to it. Tani's mum was so awesome, and I think the mums across the board, and you know, mums are always a highlight across the Bachelor, Bachelorette, and Bachelor in Paradise franchise. Everyone just seems to go nuts for the mums coming in. And I think what I loved about the mums in this setting, Tani's mum being a standout, was whatever their daughters told them, they just went and prosecuted that message straight away with a man that they've never met before. Like Holly's mum was getting straight to the point without very much context really other than what her daughter has provided her. But that's the mum's job. They are taking their daughter's message and going to get to the bottom of it. And Tani's mum... Just Tani's basically said, I've been here for this long. I haven't had a single date. I'm feeling a little bit like chopped liver. And her mum just goes for gold. And I think that Tani's mum and Jimmy really connected. And I think that that is such an important element of this as well. One of these mums is going to likely be in Jimmy's life. And I think that that connection is important as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't know too much. Well, yeah, a little bit, but you know, Mother-in-laws. You got it, mate. All the jokes are there for a reason. <laughs> they're all they're all real. Yeah, and people have pretty hectic relationships yeah, yeah. and it can really colour people's experience with their partner in the future. Yeah. All the jokes are there for a reason and I've had nothing but fantastic experiences for the most part with the mothers of the, of the women that I've been in relationships with. I thought it was a great date. I thought as far as group dates go... As far as group date's a weird word. As far as a date where you're taking a lot of people out, I, I thought it was really great, and, and it was great for me. Again, I just love to see Jimmy get emotional, and like I said, Jimmy got really emotional watching the women see their mums again for the first time. Was uh, you know, you'd have to have a heart of stone not to be moved by that. It was beautiful, and you saw Jimmy have a bit of a cry. I was welling up. It was really, really nice. It was it was lovely, and I thought, like I said, I think Jimmy took it like a champ. Super, 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 super secret hot tip. That location where we shot that, that shows up in a clue package of the Masked Singer in a couple of months now. So keep a keen eye. Oh wow! There's a couple of couple of shots, couple of backgrounds you're gonna see. You might see that house in the Masked Singer in a couple of months from now. It was pretty special. Are you saying that Jimmy is the alien? Maybe. <laughs> it's all a guess until the mask comes off. It's pretty great. Cross promo. Keep it up. Brooke is still out of the mansion, all right, as we move into the cocktail party. Now the Jay doesn't want kids story is out there. There's some intel circulating, and she's well and truly wanting to find out what the story here is. Steph puts her hand on her heart again. Now, in previous uh, episodes, her hand has gone on her heart, and after going to the video ref, I'm like, I don't know how 
how strong I can take that hand on heart there, Steph. But a hand goes on the heart again. What do you take of it? Oh, this has got to be my pet peeve is too weak a word. Just of how people operate through this life, it's got to be my most frustrating element where someone just won't be accountable for their actions. And so this has really started. I've been very, very sympathetic to Steph through this whole series because I think that she's like very vivacious. She's incredibly articulate. But really, I've got to get her. She's She's got to start doing some fessing up because she, it's just like such shit story for lack of a better word and yeah it's it's really damaging like we're trying to form very significant relationships and you know we've covered it so we've covered at length in previous podcast episodes how people's timelines aligning on kids on what they want in the future is very important particularly when you're in an environment like The Bachelor and you have very limited time. And so I think this is one of the biggest grenades that you can throw to say that somebody doesn't want kids. What did you think about it, Osha? It had, and we've seen it executed by, shall we say, a very, very high-profile uh, red-headed American over the past four years. I don't know where I heard it, but I heard it. People are saying, you know, this is what I heard. I'm just saying that I'm just repeating what I heard. That's, well, that's all I heard. I didn't, you know. Fake news. That's what it, it's sniffed of that. It's sniffed of that. Good on Jay for confronting her on it. But once again, though, intel on this kind of thing is tricky. There's a lot of people in the cocktail parties. It's very tricky for everyone, anyone to say anything. And so I'm guessing Jimmy was not privy to anything that had to do with this conversation or what time of the cocktail party this happened. And Steph got the first rose because I guess as, as far as Jimmy's concerned, it's like, yeah, Steph, we had a great time, such and such. Then there was a moment which I always appreciate. Rebecca who showed up on the first night with the big carnival wings. Oh, yes. Yeah. Rebecca just said, you got a second there, Jimmy? And he said, yeah. She said, well, talk to me outside. She just sat him down and said, hey, man, look, I hope you get what you want, but if it's not with me, I, I wouldn't mind going. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was very brave and I thought it, yeah. you know, it harks back to Jimmy's honesty with Ash. I think Rebecca's just being honest here and she can clearly read the room. Yeah. We've been here for a while now and now, oh, this sounds, this sounds terrible to say, but, and I'm going to put it slightly more diplomatically than Steph did where she was basically like, I was absolutely shocked and appalled that Laura got a date. But, you know, I think we're getting to such a late stage that when Laura goes on her single date, She's many steps behind all of the other girls. And I worry that that's almost, almost setting you up for failure already. And so maybe Rebecca's just like, look, if it's not happened yet, it's probably not going to happen. And so she's really taken control of her own narrative. Yeah. And I was thrilled about it. I was absolutely, I was stoked that she did that, you know, in the same way that I'm stoked that when our bachelor on a single date, if he's not feeling it, rather than not give a rose, just to go, look, it's I, I don't think it's there. And then they don't come back from the single date. I, I'm okay with that. I think that's pretty cool. And similarly for a woman to go, hey, man, look, I can see, you know, in day-to-day life, it'd be like, look, the texts I'm sending you don't, the ones I'm getting back don't really sound the same. You know, getting the monosyllabic, okay, or great, back from you. It's like, nah, all right. There's not a lot of reflection here, so I'm going to take myself away. Thanks, heaps, bye. And I thought that was cool. Also, can I um, clear up a behind-the-scenes bachelor question that comes up all the time, Mm. which is that the one that I get all the time is basically, particularly in relation to Honey Badger's season, is that people must have met Honey Badger and just wanted to leave straight away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that that's that is that person projecting what they think of the honey badger. I thought he was like pretty great to start to form a relationship with. But people always seem to think that there is a group of girls, multiple women that want to leave the show because they don't have a connection with The Bachelor and that for some reason production is holding them back from exercising their autonomy. Uh And I think that it's through moments like this we can clearly see that, (laughs) 
you can leave any time if you don't if you feel that you don't have a connection with him. We've seen it twice this season with um, Tatum as well, yeah. who basically said, "Look, this isn't for me." Uh, so I think people need to realize that as much as you can leave. If that's what you want to do. A lot of women want to play out the experience because who knows, like Laura, it might be your name on the single date card next week. Yeah. Yeah. So I I loved it. I thought it was a great moment. It was very clear to us as well that it's not there. And it made sense that, and I was grateful that she did. And it was nice to see her walk with dignity. It was great. I was right into it. That's it for this show. Thank you so much for listening for the podcast. We are back with The Bachelor Wednesday and Thursday nights, 7.30pm or 10play.com.au. Just download the 10play app and watch it at your leisure whenever you want. Thank you so much, Alicia. Uh, thanks very much to our producers, Rachel Barrett and Ali Aitken. Appreciate you listening to Cocktails and Roses. This is a 10 Speaks podcast. If you missed last week's show, we're going to check out the gossip from last season of The Bachelor. You can find all of our podcasts of Cocktails and Roses at 10 Speaks on 10play or just search Cocktails and Roses wherever you get your podcasts. 